said, Amen. Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2, we are talking about life struggles. So we've talked about all kinds of things about dealing with death, marriage, feeling like you're just hurting on the inside. We've uh, gone through all those kind of things. And today, I want to talk to you about something I really hate talking about, and that's money. I, I, I look back, and in 10 years, I don't know that I've ever really had a whole sermon on it, and today really won't be about that uh, in, in general. But I, I, I think people get weird when we start talking about money, uh, and I, I feel weird talking about it. I'm like, you know what, if you've, God's got your heart, He's going to have your pocket. That's how I believe. And so, but I would, I would be amiss because one of the biggest struggles we have in life in the world today is learning how to manage man's money. Uh, manage man's money. How many people would say, uh, I would feel a little bit more secure if my bank account was a little bit good? How many could use more money? Let's see a show of hands. Some of y'all must be wealthy, man. Uh, but I mean, who wouldn't want more money? Now, who wouldn't want some more money in your bank account? Uh, it would make you feel a little better, more secure, especially in this economy. But money is one of the biggest life struggles. We've got 10 life struggles, and, and money's one of the top 10. In man's economy, you could struggle to make ends meet. Some of us know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. How many know minimum wage will barely buy you McDonald's anymore in this economy? Uh, you might lose your retirement. I know many of us have lost thousands of dollars in our retirement over the last several years. Uh, you might face hourly cutbacks and layoffs. Maybe those bills, like our energy bills, are so unreasonably high now, or your vehicle breaks down. In those moments, you can just think, if I could just have a little bit more in the bank account, I think we'd be, be able to make it. You know, six months ago, over the last six months, Beth and I have really been challenged in the Lord to keep our stress levels down. We have had, and I'm not saying this for any sympathy or empathy, I said it a few weeks back, but from unexpected medical bills with what we thought insurance wouldn't cover, to my truck has broke down three times, putting $5,000 into it, to Beth's car had to be, uh, we had to sell it because it had 150,000 miles on it. We were getting to that end of that. So unexpected purchase there to uh, insurance issues, to financial uh, unexpected bills or unexpected things, to my AC went out. A week later, my plumbing went out. Uh, and then another plumbing thing went out. And how many know sometimes you're like that uh, uh, phrase, when it rains, it pours, right? And in those moments, right, you have to determine, is this going to get to me? Am I going to manage this or is this going to manage me? Is this thing, this man's economy that I live in, going to dictate how I feel on the inside? Or do I have a place secured in God that no matter what I go through, my faith and my help comes from the Lord, who is the maker of heaven and earth? How many say amen to that? So that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. How much money would it take to make you happy? And I look around and you see the economy today. You see all these millionaires. Look how many millionaires and billionaires take their own life uh, get into financial ruin, even bad relationships, even drugs, and all kinds of things. Uh, so if money makes you happy, then how come they never find it? Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance, somebody say abundance, that's the word for today, nor he who loves abundance with its income, this too is vanity. You see, money can be a blessing or a burden. You can let money distress you, you can let money define you and even dominate you. Financial stress is even one of the top three reasons people divorce. You know, some people are good with budgets. Some people are not. That's okay if you're one or the other. But uh, sometimes we can feel like we're never secure with what we're making. We can constantly work to have enough, and we may be less generous to give because we're always feeling like we never have enough. 
Or some might perhaps today, you might feel like a little bit more money, a little bit new things, some new things, then people will like me more. If I have the latest thing, people will like me more. If I have the latest stuff, latest clothes, I'll be more liked. We find validation in new things. And for some people, giving things and buying and giving things away can even give them a sense of validation or worth. You feel good buying something and it makes you feel good on the inside because there's something they're missing even in your life. Or some people will feel like they need to always get rid of the old to always be buying new. Because there's something about that exchange of getting rid of old and buying new that constantly makes them feel good on the inside. And it meets this internal need. So are we managing man's economy or is man's economy managing us? All right. I looked up on, on uh, this website this week and I just wanted to find out really, really what is money. And I was so amazed at what the definition they wrote down was. It says money is created by an interaction between tangible things and our desire for them. Okay. But it's also an abstract faith, I love that word, faith in what has value. It says that money is valuable only because we want it. How many of that's true? Money really can't do anything. Think about gold. Let's just say we got off the gold center, but think about gold. Can gold warm your house, literally? Can you eat gold? Can it keep you warm on a cold night? No, it in itself is just a rock. It's a shiny thing that we attributed value to. And we use that value thing, that faith in that value to get stuff. But money in itself is just a piece of paper. Ask Venezuela today. Money is just a piece of paper, and it is a, it's what we call government-issued currency. That guarantee of that dollar bill or that $20 bill uh, in your wallet is only the guarantee of the government that stamps it. So here's my question. Is your faith, come on, in the government that stamps that money or the government of heaven? Right? In the government that stand, that that money is only valuable because some economists say what the value is. That's why when some of you were growing up, you could buy a candy bar, candy bar for a nickel. How many know it's a dollar twenty-five today, right? I mean, because the economy determines what the value of man's money is. And I want us to challenge ourselves to re-change our perspective. And is our, is our perspective in man's economy or heaven's economy? Is our perspective uh, in man's money or in God's money? What if we no longer feared the loss of earthly things? And what if our securities weren't in man's stock market but in Christ's kingdom? And what if our perceptions were changed to an eternal kingdom uh, perception? And what if our purchasing power was not faith in government but faith in God? And what if we live with an attitude of abundance, no matter our lack? So Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2, look there with me. And here's what he says. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have what? No money. I mean, he say, yeah, I got no money. No money. He who has no money, come, buy any... How are you going to buy it? You ain't got no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. With what? Without money and without cost. And here's what he says. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully, the prophet says, and the Holy Spirit says, eat what is good and delight yourself in what? New American Standard says, abundance. Somebody say, turn to your neighbor and say, abundance. Delight yourself. He says, you ain't got no money. 
and why are you spending all your money in an earthly world that never satisfies and your wages for things that don't really meet that need inside of you? He says, come and buy something that has no cost. Come and eat something that always satisfies. Come and find true abundance. And we know that this verse was totally supplied in Jesus Christ. He was talking about the day the Messiah would come and offer the whole world God's eternal kingdom. It was going to be paid for by Christ and offered to you in abundance. Today, I want, if there's anything you get by the end of the day, I want you to understand you have abundantly been supplied in Jesus Christ. You've been abundantly supplied in Jesus Christ. You have been abundantly supplied in Jesus Christ. So let me give you a few things. How do we live in this kingdom economy? How do you take uh, this man's world and live in it the heavenly way? So we're talking about doing life the kingdom way, going through life struggles the kingdom way. How do we do that? I, was, I read an article earlier this week, and it was talking about how if an orphan was taken in to a wealthy family, a very hungry, starving child, was taken into an earthly family. He might, over the first few weeks, as he sat at his new family's table, and there was abundance there, begin to take that food and shove it in his pockets. Because he has never lived in a day where he had enough food to get to the next. And he began to sit at the table and shove his pockets, put it in his, and they would find things under the bed and under the pillows. He'd find sandwiches and wrappers and things. Because he didn't know he had enough he didn't know that his father would give him enough the next day and the next day and the next day that he had a God up in heaven, this is us, who loves him and has promised to supply all of our needs. And that's how we can live in this life. You can always live consuming, consuming. I need enough. I need enough. I need enough. I need to fill my pockets. I need to put it under my bed. I need to save that peanut butter jelly sandwich for tomorrow just in case I don't get one. But if you understand that you have a father who sets a table before you that has promised to always supply your needs in Christ Jesus. You don't have to hoard this world's stuff. Come on, somebody say amen to that. How do you live in a kingdom economy? Number one, you have to realize that it is all about kingly worship. Kingly worship. You know, giving is worship. Let's go back to Genesis 14. So each point's going to have some verses for you. Genesis 14, verse 18. Abraham has just rescued Lot's family who was taken captive in a battle against Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Genesis 14, verse 18, it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and now he was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, or Abram, of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who's delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave a tenth of all. So what happens here? God has protected and blessed Abraham his whole life, but God has promised Abraham an eternal kingdomly blessing. He says, you're going to be a father of many nations. I'm going to give this whole land to you. Abraham's never seen that, but he trusts God. And God said, you're righteous because you trust me without ever getting this. Abraham was doing what God called him to do. His lot, his lot was a lost man. Lot's family was lost into battle. And God had prospered Abraham to the degree that he could go out with a whole military of his, of his stewards and rescue Lot. When he does, he meets this guy, Melchizedek. His name it means king of righteousness. And he is the king of a city called Salem, which is city of peace. 
And for unknown reasons, it's a very mysterious story, he comes out and he says, Blessed be God of Abraham, God most high. And he's a priest. Now, Abraham thought he's the only guy that knew God. But apparently there's this other guy over here. So this guy comes out of the nowhere from a city, not a part of the cities that he rescued, and blesses him. God told this king to come bless this guy named Abram. And when he does... And he gets a revelation of God. He gives him a tenth of the spoils of everything that he wants. And Abraham keeps nothing of the enemy's money himself. He just blesses the Lord. Now what happens there? Hebrews 7 tells us this Melchizedek was a foreshadow of Christ. That Christ was the true righteous king of a city called peace. Right? Come on somebody, that's good. And he says, what did he bring out? And this Melchizedek brought out two things. He brought wine and bread. What does that sound like to y'all? The Lord's Supper, communion. Melchizedek brought out communion to Abram. And Abraham said, in a sense, Abraham, I think, knew he was getting a revelation of God through this man. And when he got a true revelation of how good God was and that God had given him the victory and he was communing with God in communion, literal communion, he said, free will, free will, not free willy, that's the whale, free will, I'll give a free will offering of 10%. Now, I'm not going to talk about tithing. I'm just going to tell you something. Tithing predates the law of Moses. Both Abraham and Jacob tithe. Okay? If new people want to argue about tithing, I just say, people want to argue about tithing, that's because you're religious. Because when we see in the Bible, tithing predates the law, that's a sign. Okay? That's okay. But every New Testament father, every patriarch of the early church, they did not only just give a tithe. The Bible says many of them gave everything they own, and they even died for Jesus. Why? Because they had communion with Him. And when they saw God Most High, King King Jesus, Prince of Peace, they couldn't hold anything back from Him. When you get a true revelation of who Jesus is, you want to give things to Him. There's no law. It was not a, a rule. It was a relationship. It was not an act of work, but it was an act of worship. That's what Abraham was doing. Nobody told him to give 10%. He just said, this is what I want to give because I see who God is. I've had communion with him. And when the disciples got it, they said, drop your nets, follow him. When people in the early church got it, they said, we'll go to the lion's den. We'll stand before Roman soldiers. We'll die in the gladiator pits because we've seen King Jesus. So when you understand that giving is about seeing the king and you want want to give into this guy. You want to give him everything he's given unto you. Now, I'll, I'll even add to this. I've never met a Christian who gave God everything but didn't give him a tithe. You can't give God everything if you're not willing to give him a tithe, if you're not willing to give him the fruit of your very best. It was like the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. Remember him? He met King Jesus. And when he had all this surplus of property, Jesus said, sell all that so you can be free to come follow me. And the Bible says he knelt his head down and he wept and went away. Because he realized even though he had seen King Jesus, he couldn't live in a kingdom economy. Because he was holding on to this world and all of its possessions. Remember what the Bible says? That the root of... It's the root that is the love of money. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. It's not money itself. God doesn't care about money. That's man's value on a currency of government stamps. There's no such thing as money. I'm just going to highlight of the day. There's no such real thing. That thing only provides goods. It's a faith and a value of a government-issued bond. 
That government will come and go. But God's kingdom lasts forever. And when you have faith in God's kingdom and God's economy, and you worship the king of kings, you put his economy first. He says, I will provide all your needs. Amen. So what's your response to King Jesus? Will I be like the rich young ruler who had the love of money, even though I met King Jesus? Or will I be like Abram, who said, I want to sow seed into the city of God. Let me, I will, I'll say this. Here's the, the key on that. We look back and we study Salem. It means city of peace. There's another city in the same region that later became the city of peace, and it was called Jerusalem. I believe Abraham, through God, sowed 10% of his wealth into Salem because Salem would become the future Jerusalem. So who sowed the first seed into God's city? Abram. Oh, that's good stuff. You want to sow seed into God's city? Sow into King Jesus. Number two, kingdom economy. Kingdom economy. You know that giving is also faith. It's easy to quote Psalms 24. It says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains in the world and those who dwell in it. It's the fullness thereof. We remember King James. But then the bills come in and they're bigger than your checkbook. Or God asks you to give more than you're comfortable with. And then we get anxious. I remember uh, early on in our marriage... Uh, Beth, had, Beth and I were married. We had $50,000 in debt from student loans. I had got hired on a church making $13,000 a year plus free rent. Woo, come on, somebody. $13,000, that's all, that was it. And we had $50,000 in debt. And I only had probably like $3,000 in my savings account. And we felt led to give a family $1,500. Now, that may not be a lot to you, but back then it was a lot to me. Half of my savings. And we did. Let me tell you something. I never even realized it was gone. When we felt the Lord tell us to give it, and we said, God, I don't understand. We got all this debt. We got all this stuff. We're paying our tithes. We're not making very much money. We're just newlyweds. But he said, give it. And we felt it in our heart. We wrote that check. I'm going to tell you something. I never even noticed. I don't even know what happened. I never even noticed. I never lived in lack. I never, I never even noticed that it was gone. Because let me tell you something. My dad is rich. My Father is rich, my heavenly Father. He says, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. It's not Fort Knox's, it's mine, the Lord says. The silver is mine, the gold is mine. Let me give you a story about George Mueller. I've preached on him a few times. And George Mueller is a famous uh, pastor, uh, missionary. In 1862, he had an orphanage called the Ashley Down in Britain, and, and they had no food. The story goes like this. George Mueller was known as a man of faith. At the end of his life, he goes to Ashley Down. He sets these multiple homes of orphanages. And in that morning, someone comes to him and says, uh, Brother George, there, there's no food for the orphanage. Uh, there's 300 children downstairs in the next building, and, and we don't know how we're going to feed them. And he tells his little niece who had visited him, he says, watch this. The Lord's going to provide. They go over to the next building. They see 300 orphans all sitting, standing in rows behind their chairs with all empty plates. Not a food, no food in the entire orphanage. Living on faith. George never asked for any money from anybody. He says, God will provide. So he told the children to bow their heads. He said, Lord, thank you for the bread you're about to give us, the food you're about to give us. And, we, and he blessed the food. And he had the kids sit down quietly. About that time, there was a knock at the door. And... They opened the door, and it was the baker from the little town. And he says, God woke me up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I just knew that I had to provide for you today. I didn't know what you needed, but I hope this will be enough. And as they opened the door, they brought in all these trays of bread, and all these orphans began to eat some of the bread that this baker had unknowingly not, did not know. But he began to eat all this bread. And as the children began to fill their bellies with this bread, again, another knock at the door happened. 
The servant lady, go, the worker lady goes to the door, opens it. It was the milkman. His milk cart had just broken down right outside the orphanage, and for them to jack up the wheel, they had to get the milk off the truck. And he says, hey, can you use ten cartons of milk? And he says, yes. And they unload all that milk, fix the cart. How many know God will provide? If you seek first His kingdom and you put everything into His stock, man, you know that it's not what you desire, what you want, but what you need, God promises to provide. That's kingdom economy. That's what we're talking about here. Kingdom economy. God always answers prayers of those who seek Him first. Luke 12, 30. For all these things the nation and the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need them. Not want them, need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock. Your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So you can sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourself money belts that do not wear out or unfailing, for an unfailing treasure in heaven. And there no thief comes, near no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The world says, Put your money where your mouth is. But Jesus says, you put your heart where your money is. The world says, put your money where your mouth is. Jesus says, wherever you are putting your money, that's where your heart is. Not where you put your heart is, that's where you put your money. He says, but wherever we can tell in your pocketbook, wherever you're putting your money, your material possessions, your time, your talent, your treasure, he says, that's where your heart will be. You'll put your heart where you're putting your money, where you put your treasures. And if I start valuing his kingdom... I know that my heart will be in His kingdom, and He's going to take care of me. Malachi even says, this is the only thing you can test the Lord in. He says, you can test the Lord while building His house, His kingdom, His dwelling place first. He says, you can test the Lord in this and see that He will not open up the floodgates of heaven over you and be blessed. And He says, He'll also rebuke the devourer, Satan, for your sake. I will rather have faith in a kingdom economy than a government-issued currency. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, The Lord your God is the giver. He's the one that gives you power to make wealth. The Lord your God is the one who gives you power to make wealth. God is not afraid of rich nor poor, but He's looking for a person who loves His kingdom. That leads to point three is there's a kingdom concern. A kingdom concern not only is giving worship and giving faith in God's economy, but giving is also stewardship. In God's kingdom, there's this principle that most people don't teach on a whole lot because it gets skewed in popular pastoring today, is sowing and reaping. It's not about personal prosperity. There's this thing called the prosperity gospel. It's not about personal prosperity and the fact of me gaining for my own wants and needs, but it's based on what has God given you and what are you going to do with it. For instance, God has sown into your life with his son, and he expects a return on that investment. Let me, let me show you this way. In Matthew 13, it says, Jesus said, God's like a farmer. He sows into a field, which you and I are that field, and some soil will yield a hundredfold, some will yield sixtyfold, and some will yield thirtyfold. He gave another parable called the parable of the talents, and he says like this, there will be one given five talents, which is five days' wages. Another one was going to give two talents or two days' wages. Another is giving one day's wage. And he says, but one didn't invest that money 
and didn't care to invest it. He buried it. And when the master came back, he said, you wicked, lazy, worthless slave, didn't you know I was a person who reaped in fields I didn't even sow into? Don't you understand that when I plant my economy into a place, when my kingdom comes to rule and reign, it always increases. It always gives a harvest. There's always fruitfulness. Whenever I put my hand to something, it always grows. But you didn't care to even do anything with my kingdom. He said, so take that worthless and lazy slave and bind him and throw him into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says, to one who has been given, one who has been given, more will be given. But one who has not, found with not, he'll be taken away. He's talking about fruitful kingdom living. Fruitful kingdom living. See, it's not about just money. When we talk about sowing and reaping, it comes to things like this. Love your enemies. Do good to others, Jesus said. Be merciful. Don't judge. Pardon because you've been pardoned. That's kingdom living. That's kingdom sowing and reaping. Jesus says it like this in Luke 6. He says, if you give like this, love your enemies and do good to others and be merciful, it will be given to you. They'll pour out into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Doesn't that sound like abundance? By your standard of measured, it will be measured to you in return. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians. He says, those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. Those who reap, uh, who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. And you've got to do it how you purchased in your heart. God loves a cheerful giver. He's not just talking about money. He's talking about a person who lives with an attitude of abundance in Jesus Christ that you can just say, God has so blessed me. I'm a, I feel generous all the time, even if I've only got a little bit. Because remember, he says, those who sow sparingly. You say, well, Pastor, I don't really have a lot to sow. I don't have, I don't have anything. I'm poor. I don't, I don't have a lot to give. We're barely making it now. You remember that moment where Jesus is in the temple, right outside the temple treasury, and all these rich Pharisees come by who love money, and there were seven jars, and they begin to give in their abundance. And it's kind of like once you fill the pot up, you kind of get to the end. And as they begin to fill and fill and fill, they begin to kind of boast in how much they give. Jingle that change a little bit, you know, shake that thing so everybody knows. And then a poor little widow comes. She had two copper coins, and she put in those two copper coins. And Jesus says, look, this woman has given more than all the rest because they sowed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. She gave all that she had to live on. And what was she giving to? God's temple. She was giving to a dwelling place in the middle of her people. You see, when God sees that you are willing to give to a dwelling place in the middle of his people, he will say, I will take care of your needs. It's not about how much reaping. It's about the percentage of your heart. How She gave all of her heart to the kingdom of God that day. And God says, he's going to take care of a person like that. Now, so I'm saying, God... How am I sowing and reaping in my life with my time, my talent, my treasure? Am I a generous person? Do I feel, sometimes in this man economy, we can always feel like we lack, we lack, we lack, we don't have enough. I gotta buy, I gotta put on, I gotta paint my face, I gotta get more clothes, I gotta get more things, I gotta feel more secure, I gotta increase my retirement, I gotta put more money into my bank, I gotta set my kids up for success. All that's good. But if you are constantly living like you never have enough and you're never secure and you're dreading the news and you're watching Fox Business and you're taking Pepto-Bismol, come on, you need to live in a kingdom economy. Man, my help comes from the Lord. Whether it's two grand or two pennies, we can all give from a heart that lives in abundance. So how have I been giving lately? Have I been a person who lives from a position of abundance? And lastly is this. 
there's a kingdom reward. There's a kingly worship. There's a kingdom economy. There's a kingdom stewardship, a kingdom concern that he looks for us to have. And lastly, he promises a kingdom reward. You know, see, giving is gaining. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, while Abraham, let's wrap it up with Abraham. Abraham saw this revelation of Christ, a righteous king who was the king of peace, who was building a city called Jerusalem. Abraham sees this revelation, takes communion, and he sows the 10% into this city that's going to be built in the future, which will be David's city, which will be the city that Jesus dies on the cross in. Right? Abraham sowed into that city. But really, the Bible says in Hebrews that he was really sowing into a city. The Bible says he was looking for a city whose foundations and architect and builder was God. He wasn't just looking for a physical Jerusalem, but a heavenly, eternal Jerusalem. And when you sow things on this life, your kingdom reward, he says, your treasure will not just be here, but it will be in heaven. Here, God promises to take care of your needs, but there, your reward will be great. Remember what uh, Paul says, he says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Man, there is a kingdom economy that when we give all I have to Jesus, I know I can be confident, even though I lack here, I'm storing up treasures there. I love what Jim Elliott said. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to say it again. He's no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That man died for Jesus in the jungles of South America in the 40s or 50s. Giving away what you can't keep. And you know you can't take it with you. But man, when you give it all away, he's got a tre treasure house in heaven, a place where the 401ks never depreciate. How many know that's true? Man, they never depreciate up in heaven. He's got a safety deposit box up there, more than you can even imagine. And when you give everything to him, your heart and life, Matthew 25 says this, he'll say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. You are faithful with a little bitty earthly things. Come on. Faithful with a little bit of earth. I don't care if you're a millionaire. That's just little bitty things. You're faithful with a little bitty earthly things. But I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. God's kingdom is kingdom abundance. You have no idea. The Bible says that we'll come back to this place to rule and reign with him. And the things that we do with our life here and now matter. You are saved by grace through faith, and that is it alone. There is no works you have to do to be saved and right with Jesus Christ. But there are things that we do in this life that are going to reverberate through all eternity. And it's not about how much is in your pocketbook. It's about how much is in your heart. How much of your kingdom. If God, I don't really care about your pocket. You can tie to anything. I don't, I don't care. My salary doesn't come from you. It comes from the Lord. I just truly believe that. Right? Kingdom economy is so much bigger than one church, one denomination, one pastor. It's our whole life. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I want to be a person who lives every day with an attitude of abundance and spreads that faith around to a lost and dying world that is looking for man's money and man's economy to save them and fix them. We're working on world peace summits and we're working on global climate change summits. We're working on all kinds of things to get experts out there to fix this economy, get nations, to, presidents to come together to fix man's kingdoms. All of that is ruin. Because if we don't establish, hey guys, 
Let's build a heavenly city and let that city come down to earth. That's what we're here to do. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? Father, I thank you, Lord, that we are abundantly supplied in the riches that come from Christ Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that there is no longer rich nor poor in your kingdom. You're, not a, a, you're no respecter of persons when it comes to coming in, Lord. You say, all who are thirsty come. All who have no money can come and buy things that truly satisfy, that we can delight ourselves every day in abundance. Lord, maybe there are people here today that don't feel like they have enough. Lord, they're always constantly feeling not secure. They need to buy things and sell things, they need to put on things, or they need to get rid of things. Maybe they just often work themselves to the bone because they just feel like they're not going to have enough at the end of this life. And Lord, you've called us to stewardship, and you've called us to work, and you've called us to provide for our families, and you've called us to, to be good workers. But Lord, you've also called us to rest in you, to trust in you, to wait on you, that you will provide all of our needs. So, Father, I'm praying this morning that we would all have kingdom hearts, kingdom attitudes, Lord, that we are always generous, generous with our time, generous with our talents, and generous with all the treasures you've given us. And, Lord, we know that if we give, Lord, it's more blessed to give than to receive, and you will continually give to us. Maybe there's someone here today, Lord, that feels empty on the inside, that just empty. And, God, I pray they'd feel abundant. I pray they'd feel supply. I pray they'd be filled with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Father, there are those here today that are worried how they're going to pay their next bills. They're worried how they're going to provide. Lord, just even this week in this man's economy, Lord, I pray faith for them. Faith to trust in the Lord who owns all of this world. To test the Lord and see that if we don't seek Him first, He will abundantly supply so, Father, would you raise up a kingdom, a nation on this earth who shows the world what heaven looks like, that where we can go as poor orphans to a table called grace. We're so used to never having enough that we don't know what it's like, Father, to come to you and just simply trust you with childlike faith. It's foreign to us. We've never experienced it. So maybe there is those here today, they've even been in church their lives, but they've never come to just trust you in abundance. It's an attitude of our hearts, God, and we just say, Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to surrender being in control of my own life and just simply come to you and say, God, I need you. I surrender, Lord, being in control of man's money. And I just come into a kingdom economy for my Lord is my Father. Would you stand with me all?